Well, good morning uh, to everyone who's viewing this live stream video. My name's Brendan. If you're new and just stumbled across uh, this YouTube channel, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Southern Grace Church in Wurunga, and you're our guest this morning. We're so glad that on this Resurrection Sunday, we get to celebrate Jesus even apart in our homes because of the beauty of technology. What a gift from God. Uh, I want to I welcome especially those this morning that don't normally attend church. Uh, you're our special guest uh, here with us this morning, and I hope you find deep encouragement as we look at one of the biographies of Jesus' life and one of the great signs that Jesus performed during his life. Uh, if you have a Bible there with you, uh, could you open it up to John chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, I'm going to be telling the story uh, as we go along throughout uh, this message this morning. But before I do, uh, why don't I pray for us? Dear God, we want to thank you this morning that you are alive, you are risen, you have risen and conquered death this morning. And how great it is that on Resurrection Sunday we can come together uh, in our homes and celebrate you. And Lord, as we look at your word, your living, breathing, active word, I just pray, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me bring glory to Jesus. Help us to enjoy him and his fullness and his life-giving power. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a culture that does not like to think about death. Not really, not at all. We actually avoid it at all costs. Uh, We don't like to talk about dying. We especially don't like to talk about what happens after you die. Uh, McCrindle Research Poll recently said that or found that 90% of Australians either never or don't often talk about religious matters at all. We're not a people that like to talk about things about afterlife. We live in a society that actually hides death from us. We take the elderly and frail and largely we put them in nursing homes and aged care institutions. We take those that are physically very ill and we keep them in hospitals. We don't even here in Australia have a culture of open caskets at funerals. We don't really want to see it. In our neighbourhood here in Wurunga, uh, actually... We're kind of obsessed with health. We love fitness and diet. We love managing anxiety and and our mental health with the aim of living healthy lives for as long as we possibly can. And if you're young and healthy like me, death isn't something that really crosses your mind very often at all. Uh, You live your life kind of assuming You have all the time in the world, and so you do what most of us do, which is you focus on your career, and you focus on your kids, if you have them, or focus on getting a foothold in the property market here in Wurunga. And we kind of put great confidence and hope, therefore, in modern medicine. We're living longer than we ever have before, and we kind of feel invincible. But then all of a sudden, due to COVID-19, Death, it feels like, has taken a front seat in all of our lives. Globally so far, the count this morning is over 100,000 people have died from the coronavirus, and it looks likely that that figure will increase to millions and millions of people around the globe. And suddenly we hear stories of young people becoming ill and dying. And if you're like me, you can begin to think, what if that happened to me, what would I do? You know, what would happen to my family? Uh, what, would, what would happen to me? Here's a truth that 
does not change regardless of COVID-19. One day, you will die. Where will you go, though, after you die? That's the question that I want to examine this morning. Is all that waits for you after death the grave and decomposition? Or is there something more? Were you made for something more? Now, our passage this Resurrection Sunday is about one of Jesus' greatest signs in the biography of his life, written by one of his close friends, the Apostle John. And it's a story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus back from the dead. It's one of the signs that John portrays in his gospel. It's meant to tell us something about Jesus and what he is like. Well, the title of this message, if you're at home taking notes, is The Resurrection and the Life. And I've got three points that we're going to be looking at together this morning, but really one hope for us, and that is that in the resurrection of Lazarus, we would see the life-giving power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I hope for us this morning as we examine this sign from John's gospel is that we would see the life-giving power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't we turn now to point number one of our message, uh, this message and our passage, the hidden purposes of love. The hidden purposes of love. If you have your Bibles there, uh, we're going to start reading our passage from John 11 verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Our passage today features the two sisters, Mary and Martha, which you may be familiar with from Luke's account of their interaction with Jesus. Jesus is some distance away from Jerusalem. He had been in Jerusalem where he'd been extremely open about his divinity and it hadn't really been received well and the Jews in Jerusalem had tried to stone him to death. And so John writes in John chapter 10 that at this time Jesus was near the place where John had been baptizing on the other side of the Jordan, most likely a place called Anon in the Jordan Valley. And these sisters sent messengers to Jesus, and the message is really touching. The message is that the one you love is ill. You see, Lazarus is not some distant contact of Jesus. He is their brother and Jesus' close friend. Let's read on in our story. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus immediately reveals something of God's divine purpose behind Lazarus' illness. The end of this illness will not be death, says Jesus. It's about the glory of God, specifically the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Let's read on in 
verse 5. It says the following. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed 2 days longer in the place he was. Jesus loved this whole family, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, but his response to this news is puzzling. It says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed right where he was for two days longer. What? If Jesus loved Lazarus and had power to heal him, why would he stay? I mean, surely if Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, he would go immediately and heal his dear friend. How could this be an expression of love? Well, at this point in the story, we're not told. We have to read on. So why don't you read with me? Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After two days of waiting where he was, Jesus says, okay, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples raised the obvious problem. Jesus, they were just trying to kill you there, and you want us to go back? And Jesus replies, there's 12 hours in the working day when the light of the world, that is the sun, is up, and so you can go about your work. Just before, in John chapter 8, Jesus had actually been describing himself as well as the light of the world. And so Jesus' point is, while I'm with you as the light of the world, you can carry on with our work. You guys are going to be fine. Let's read on in the story. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. The disciples suddenly go, ah, I get you, Jesus. Okay, he's just been sleeping. It's a big misunderstanding. No problem. I guess he's going to be fine then. And Jesus says plainly, Lazarus is dead. But what comes next is absolutely shocking. 
Read with me. Verse 15. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may believe. Let us go to him. Jesus says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad. What a shocking thing to say. I mean, think about it. If I said, Dave Taylor is dead, and for your sake, I am glad, you would be somewhat startled by that expression. You would begin to think, what on earth do you perceive I have against Dave Taylor that I would be glad to see him dead? I mean, what could possibly lead Jesus to any sort of gladness at the death of his dear friend? Well, he answers the question. For your sake, I am glad. Why? So that you may believe. Why did Jesus' love for Lazarus cause him to delay when he was on death's door? More, why did Lazarus' death cause Jesus some degree of gladness for the sake of his disciples? Because he was at work to display his glory and give them faith to believe in him. And this is the greatest way in which the Lord Jesus can express love for us. You see, faith is the greatest way in which he can love us and in which he can love those disciples. John Piper, on speaking on this passage, uh, says the following. He says, He does not mainly love us in this life by sparing us suffering and death. He mainly loves us by showing us and giving us himself and his glory. God loves us mainly by giving us himself and all that he is for us in Jesus. Jesus loves us mainly by giving us himself and all that God is for us in him. Don't measure the love of God for you by how much health and wealth and comfort he brings into your life. If that were the measure of God's love, then he hated the Apostle Paul. Hear this. Measure God's love for you By how much of himself he shows you. By how much of himself he gives you to know and to enjoy. Friends, if we were to measure the love of God for us by how much health and wealth and prosperity he gives, he would have hated the Apostle Paul. And I put to you, he would have hated his dear friend Lazarus as well. We see the love of God in how much of himself he reveals to us. You see, Jesus' response to his dear friend Lazarus' death is a picture of the way in which God loves us. Not by giving us more things that we want, but by revealing his glory and giving us himself. You see, in the midst of pain and uncertainty surrounding COVID-19, it's easy to believe that God doesn't love us. Maybe, Maybe you've lost your job already. Maybe you've lost your savings or your investments. Maybe you've even already lost someone you love. Maybe you find yourself fearful for the future. 
Jesus' response to Lazarus reveals that he has a plan and a purpose even greater than, than our material prosperity or health. He has a plan to reveal his glory to the whole world and to you. Well, in summary, Jesus' response to his dear friend's illness, we see the hidden purposes of love. But we need to know something more than just that God loves us by giving us himself. We also need to know why that's wonderful. And that's what we see in not just point one, but point two, the source of eternal life. Why don't you continue in the story with me reading verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. I love good old doubting Thomas. Uh, filled with faith uh, in his position. Okay, it looks like we're on a suicide mission. So great, let's just go and die. Uh, courageous, yes. But a little bit on the pessimistic side of things, that's for sure. Let's keep reading in the story of verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Jesus arrives outside Bethany and Lazarus has already been dead for four days. It's a quite well-off family with a number of people present. And, and we kind of know that because of the volume of people that are gathered and because of the expensive perfume that, that Mary had previously placed on the Lord Jesus. And so we can assume that here at this, this funeral, there are not just people present who knew them, but also paid mourners. You know, this would have been nothing like an Aussie funeral where it's quite a somber and quite a fair. There would have been weeping and wailing. There would have been wailing women and flute players and people just shouting shouts of grief, uh, shouts coming out from the procession. There would have been laments being sung everywhere in the house of, de- uh, of, of the person who had died. This would have been quite the scene. And people everywhere were mourning and comforting these two sisters. And Mary is at home inside the house and Martha comes out to meet Jesus just outside the village. Read on with me, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Martha's response to Jesus is a mix of faith and pain. On one level, she shows her faith here. She says to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you could have stopped him dying. But on another level, implicitly on what she says, there's a kind of stinging rebuke. Why didn't you stop him from dying? Jesus, I believe you could have saved my brother's life, but why weren't you here? We read on, verse 23 says the following, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
you can't help but feel that Jesus' response is somewhat similar to what many people were probably saying to her. And Martha believes that Jesus is saying, Martha, you'll see him again at the resurrection of the dead. See, Jews believed in a final resurrection of the dead at the end of time, and Martha thinks this is what he's referring to. Martha thinks Jesus is kind of giving her a bit of a platitude. Her tone, in some ways, kind of feels quite dismissive, kind of like, yeah, Jesus, I know. But she couldn't have anticipated what Jesus would say to her next. Read with me verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus introduces a mind-blowing truth. The resurrection is not about a place or a time, but about a person. It's about Jesus himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the source of the resurrection. He holds the life-giving power of God himself. He is the one who will bring the resurrection, beginning at a time of his choosing, and he is announcing that time as beginning now. But notice the way in which this resurrection power is accessed. It's not through religious observance like praying the rosary or attending church or baptism. It's, it's not through living a moral life. It's, it's not through joining some wonderful cause like fighting slave trade or some sort of environmental cause like ending global warming or protecting an endangered species. It's not through any of those things at all. Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. The eternal life that Jesus offers is accessed simply through faith. This is the only condition. Simply by trusting in who Jesus is who he claimed to be and what he claimed to do, you can receive life that doesn't end. Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You know, the way that's written in the original language, it's the strongest possible way to say something in Greek. It means something like, whoever believes in me will never, ever, not even a chance of ever die. Jesus is saying, trust in me, and even your death will be a doorway to life eternal. You see, we live in a culture that's obsessed with enjoying life to the max for as long as possible, constantly trying to buy more time for ourselves, healthy eating and exercise, new pharmaceuticals, investments to guard our retirement. And these are all good things. But one thing is for certain, that a hundred years from now, every person listening to this live stream will be dead. And all the things that we own will be gone. Well, how can Jesus offer life that doesn't end? Well, the Bible 
teaches that there is one God who made everything that exists in the universe. And that as the pinnacle of his creation, he made humanity. And he made humanity different from everything else that he made because he made humanity in his very own image. And made in his image, humanity was especially precious to him. And he made humanity in his image that we might enjoy a beautiful relationship with him and live with him in perfect harmony in the world in which he had made for us to dwell in. And yet our ancestors rejected him and chose self-rule and independence over relationship with him and the world became broken. Sin, pain and death entered into our world as a living picture of the state of our relationship with our maker. God cursed this world and people became cut off from God, rightly deserving his judgment and eternal death separated from him. You know, we all intuitively know, whether you're a Christian or not, that we're not the people we ought to be. We, we don't even measure up to our own standards, the standards that we set for ourselves. And yet God being merciful promised to once for all time reconcile people back to himself. Hundreds of years before even Jesus was born, he said that he would send a king who would once for all pay for his people's sins, a king who would be both God and man to live the perfect life in our place, to die our death, to pay for our debts in full at the cross. And so Jesus said in John chapter 10, just before this passage, speaking of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Born to die was Jesus. Born to reverse the curse that exists upon this world. Born to enable us to receive the unending life God had always intended for his people just through trusting in him. You see, if simple faith in Jesus is the way to receive the eternal life he offers, it now makes sense why he's so concerned that his disciples believe in him. It now makes sense why he would delay his coming to display his glory. It now makes sense why he could say that for your sake, I am glad that my dear friend Lazarus has died, that you might believe in me. You see, he wants to give them the gift of eternal life. He wants them to know and enjoy the living God forever. Nothing could possibly compare to that. You know, what could possibly compare to never-ending life with the one who made everything that exists that is good in this entire world? You know, all the things that we're missing right now, like dinner with friends and a walk on the beach or holidays up the coast. God made it all. And so what could possibly compare to enjoying eternal life with him? You see, it's not just the hidden purposes of love, but it's also point two, the source 
of eternal life. But lastly, not just those two points, but point number three, the sign of things to come. Why don't you continue reading with me our passage in verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, Martha declares her belief that Jesus is indeed the Christ, this promised King, the Son of God who has come. She then goes and calls Mary, her sister, to come outside the village to where Jesus is. And all the mourners see Mary immediately run up and leave her house. And they think she must be going to the tomb to mourn her brother who's died. So the whole crowd follows her out to where Jesus is. And we pick up the story again in verse 32. Now when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary's pain in this scene is so tangible. She's mourning her brother. And she falls at Jesus' feet and she's weeping. And again, there's both faith and hurt in what she says. Both faith. You could have healed him. And hurt. But why didn't you heal him? Why didn't you stop him from dying? Read with me verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with him, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus sees Mary and he sees the crowd and he was deeply moved. The word here in the original language means to be agitated or to be stirred up. Jesus sees Mary crying and the crowds crying and in himself he is agitated and stirred up. But why? What was he agitated and stirred up about? Well, on the one hand, the Lord was affected by their pain watching them mourn the death of someone so dearly loved. But even more than that, the Lord was likely agitated and affected by their lack of faith. You see, no one believes in this scene that Jesus carries power over death. And they even seem to implicitly question his motives. If you loved Lazarus, Surely, you would have stopped him from dying. And what comes next is so powerful. If you've ever been tempted to believe that God does not care about your situation, let these words wash over you. Read verse 34 with me. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, 
See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? As Jesus looks around and surveys the pain and the faithlessness that surrounds him, he is agitated and he is affected. So much so that tears begin to stream down his face. He deeply cares about these people. And he is deeply moved by their plight. Friends, behold the tender heart and the mercy of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, filled with compassion and care for those that he loves. Keep reading the story with me, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus arrives at the tomb and it's a cave with a stone rolled in the front of it and he's still deeply affected by the pain and faithlessness of those around him. And he asks them to remove the stone, but Martha is resistant. She's concerned about the odour. After four days in the Middle Eastern heat, she is concerned that her brother's body has well and truly started rotting and bloating and the stench would be huge. Was Martha here filled with faith and expecting a miracle? Not at all. She's concerned that the guests to her brother's funeral will be disturbed by the smell of her brother's corpse. And Jesus reminds Martha, didn't I promise you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so we read on in verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus lifts up his eyes to the heavens and gives a short prayer in the hearing of all those who are around. But he doesn't ask for anything from God. He merely gives thanks for God already having listened to him. You see, Jesus is working to love every person present. He is working to help them to believe in him. And so in a loud voice so that everyone can hear, he says something so simple. Lazarus. Come out. You know, in those days, bodies were wrapped in a sheet twice the height of the person. The person would be laid at the bottom of the sheet. The cloth would be wrapped back over the top of them, tied at the feet, the hands tied by the sides, and then a face cloth placed over the top and tied on top altogether. And so it's likely that Lazarus would have come blindly hopping out of the tomb. 
with the face cloth still in place. And Jesus says, untie him and let him go. You know, I wonder if you've ever seen someone who's just died. You know, a few years ago, my grandfather was ill in hospital and I went on Boxing Day to uh, fly back from holidays to come and visit him. And uh, I arrived just a moment too late. He had already passed away and my grandmother and some of my aunties were present in the room as my granddad lied already dead uh, on the hospital bed. And to look at someone's face who's just passed away, you kind of see that the life has left them. They're They're no longer present. They're no longer with us. And so imagine the incredible scene as it unfolds here. Jesus speaks, and suddenly the color returns to Lazarus's face. Suddenly his pulse begins to return, and suddenly his chest begins to move up and down as he begins to breathe. And suddenly he sits up and comes hopping out of this tomb. It's an amazing miracle. But what does it all mean? You see, in John's Gospel, these events, though miraculous, are not called miracles. They're signs designed to tell you something about who Jesus is and why he's come. So what does this sign mean? I put to us three different things. Firstly, it's a sign that shows us that Jesus has power over death. Read with me verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How could these disciples have any confidence that Jesus could keep this promise? For he had just showed them by demonstrating his power and raising a dead man with just two words. You know, if you're honest, I wonder if you feel a tinge of fear when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic. What a comfort to know that Jesus has power over life and death. Secondly, not just a sign that points to his power over death, but a sign that points to his coming resurrection. So it's Resurrection Sunday. We're meeting in our homes to celebrate his resurrection from the grave. It's the most amazing news. And yet Lazarus' resurrection also points forward to that resurrection as well. It's a sign that points to what Jesus would shortly after this point do. But his resurrection is not like Lazarus' resurrection. Lazarus came hopping out of the tomb. Jesus would come walking out in glory. Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die once again. Jesus was raised in glory, never to die again, and ascended to the right hand of his Father on high and is coming again. What a wonderful comfort to know in the midst of this crisis that there's an empty tomb and a resurrected Lord. But thirdly, not just a sign that points to Jesus' power over death, not just a sign that points to his coming resurrection, but a sign that also points to the future that awaits all who believe in him. 
You know, Jesus, just as he raised Lazarus to life, one day he will return and raise all those who believe in him to newness of life. You know, Paul writes the following in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ, in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by one man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive again, but each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. That word first fruits is the first part of a harvest, the sign of things to come. And so just as Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a sign that points to our coming resurrection, so too with Lazarus, he points forward to what Jesus will one day do for all those who believe in him. You see, part of the reason the pandemic we are now facing as a globe has caused so much distress to so many people is because many people believe There's hope in this life only. You know, if there's hope in this life only, we need to enjoy this life as much as possible for as long as possible or be a complete waste. If there is hope in this life only, suffering and death are cause for great despair because there is no hope beyond the grave. But what if our life here on earth, though important, was only an infinitely small portion of the life that we have to live. How would we approach our life here differently? You know, so many of our anxieties and fears, they they don't make sense in light of the resurrection. See, the raising of Lazarus is a sign that points to the truth that this life is not our final destination, but it is our preparation for an even greater final destination. You see, many aspects of what await us this year are uncertain. Will I still have a job with the economic downturn? How long will social isolation and loneliness continue? Will I personally remain healthy throughout this pandemic? Many aspects of this life are uncertain, but one thing is completely certain. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, if you're joining our live stream this morning and you wouldn't traditionally call yourself a Christian, I just believe Jesus is asking you this question this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, you have an opportunity to respond to what Jesus is saying right here this morning. To repent and believe, to, to turn to him, to come to him and put your trust in him. Say, yeah, I believe you when you say that, Lord Jesus, and I want to follow you. And we want to help you to do that. Just as Patrick said this morning, we are running and we have people equipped to run a course called Christian Explored. We, we, we would love to welcome you into that and, and to help you to come to know Jesus. That's the sweetest privilege in my life, to share Jesus with other people, and we'd love to be of any help we can. But if you're here and you're a follower of Christ today, 
the question I want to leave you with is this. How can I live a little more in light of the resurrection power of Jesus this week? Maybe it's despite my fears moving towards a neighbor in love. Maybe it's praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with someone in need this week. Maybe it's changing the way I'm investing to make a little less sense for the next 20 years, to make, but to make more sense for the next 1,000 years. Maybe it's just in investing more in my kids and spending more time with my kids that they may believe. How can I live a little more in light of the resurrection power of Jesus this week? Well, I think in summary, Ravi Zacharias, who's fighting cancer in hospital this week, has put it so succinctly. May we be moved to wonder and worship this week as we contemplate the cross and celebrate our risen Lord. Our cities smell of death, and we need the aroma of life. His name is Jesus Christ. Friends, I trust this morning that in the resurrection of Lazarus, we've seen the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I want to thank you this morning that you're doing a work so amazing that we wouldn't even believe it possible without you revealing it to us, Lord. Thank you so much that you are sovereign, you are mighty, you are powerful, and yet you're good. You're not distant from us in our pain, but you enter in and you even wept tears of grief at the sight of your friend Lazarus and his friend's suffering. Look, I thank you that you and you alone have resurrection power. Thank you, Lord, that you have defeated the grave. Death has lost its sting and that you offer life eternal to all who come to you in faith and faith alone. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone here who has not yet put their faith in you. Lord, would you help them to just even pray a simple prayer just this morning to ask you to be their king and to be filled with the hope that Though in this life they will surely die, death will not be the end. But they will come to enjoy life eternal with you. Lord, for us as a church, while we're apart, Lord, help us this week to enjoy your resurrection power. May all the glory go to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.